The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 26. Bears win, but who's kidding who? They suck edition. You are at the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. As we usually do, let me set the scene. We are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studios at The Place. By the way, The Place is a cigar lounge, and it's at 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. That's The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, and we hope to see you over here one of these days. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports, and you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever the hell you may get your podcasts. And as always, I would like to introduce my co-host and co-smoking buddy, Phil Sullivan. Phil? What are you smoking? And I'd like you to sort of lead off with our opening topic today. What are your thoughts on Rihanna headlining the Super Bowl halftime show? Oh, boy, he had to go there. I'm enjoying a nub triple roast this evening. Nice uh, after dinner, after football cigar, though we still got a little football left today. You know, I'll leave the halftime shows to the professionals and uh, sit back and watch. So that's uh, my uh, Rihanna opinion. I, I think I've if I listen to the next Rihanna song, it'll probably be my first. I'll have to leave that at that. But in uh, the, your leadoff being the um, Bears Sucks edition, I think we also have to include that it is also the uh, Burial of the White Sox edition. Oh, we'll uh, cover them. Week we, also. We'll but, cover uh, them. Yeah. You know, yeah. The Bears. Oh, my God, Steve. I'll let you lead off on a few things. Go ahead. All right. Well, I'm smoking a LaFleur Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto number 2, I must admit. It is my third one of the day. But you know what? So let's start out with some positives. The Bears just won. They beat the Houston Texans 23-20. to They are 2-1. and They are in first place in the NFC North. And by the way, they'll be in first place in the NFC North no matter what happens. Packers are leading uh, Tampa Bay right now, but uh, we'll see what happens in that game. I won my bet in the Bears game over 39. I thought 39 sounded like a very low total, and that worked out. By the way, so far the only bet that I've won today. Khalil Herbert had 20 carries for 157 yards, 7.9-yard average. Pretty damn good. As a team... The Chicago Bears rushed for 281 yards. Eddie Jackson, the guy who we have grown to hate over the years, um, had yet another pick, his second of the season. Um, actually, a red zone in the end zone uh, pick, which was great. Roquan Smith had 16 tackles and a pick as well. So Roquan had an excellent game as he's out there playing for some money. So some positive things happened. We got a first-place football team, Phil. Well, you know, all those statistics you just rattled off certainly show positive for a team that would be on their way, certainly to the playoffs. If not, Can I get to the negatives now? Now, Steve, uh, do me a favor. Since this is a uh, very offensive NFL now, and uh, they've made the rules so that teams makes it e- even easier to produce offense in the NFL this year, you do me a favor, Steve. What was our quarterback's quarterback rating today? 
Our quarterback's rating was 27.7, which is literally, you can't, you can't even try to have a quarterback rating be that bad. So, Phil, we talked about the positives, and we don't want to be accused of not being positive. Allow me to now, for the purpose of conversation, summarize the negatives. I would like to summarize all of the negatives in two words with an effing in between them. Justin effing Fields. So I guess maybe that's three words. This guy, who, by the way, I admit on draft night, I love the guy. I could not have been more excited. I agree that last year, you know, during his, uh, I believe, 12 starts, I was uh, I was making excuses for him because he stunk almost all the time. You know, then I was very optimistic this year about the new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. Let me tell you something. This guy stinks! Lori Lightfoot is, I'm not even saying would be, because I know she is a better quarterback than Justin Fields. This guy, you mentioned his quarterback rating today was 27.7. He was 8 for 17 for 106 yards. He has not yet had a game this season where he's thrown for over 50%, and 50% is terrible. He had two picks, two fumbles. They also need to invent a new statistic for Justin Fields called fall downs. He fell down that I can remember without even being touched at least five times. I mean, as you remember, I was pointing it out during the game. Think about this. The guy averaged 6.2 yards per play on his eight pass attempts. That's not even possible. Khalil Herbert averaged 7.9 yards per rush. So a, a pass play was less productive than a rush, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't want to hear about the weapons. I don't want to hear about the offensive line. I'm sure none of those things are, are good, okay? They're, they're not good. Fine. Whatever the case may be. But this guy can't play quarterback. He holds on to the friggin' ball forever. He didn't miss wide open receivers. He doesn't even see them. How can you target guys like Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet one or two times a game. I mean, St. Brown looked okay today. He had two catches. This guy sucks, and I am starting to lose any faith that he will ever be good. So, you know, thoughts. Steve, and, uh, yeah, here's my thoughts. Uh, here's what I uh, wrap, wrapping some of this up. Well, what we're talking about right now that sums it up for me already after only three games. The Bears and the organization and the coaching staff knew that this team was not a playoff team this year. So everybody said, let's just get Fields ready for next year. Bears got plenty of cap money. Let's get through the season. Let's just keep him from getting hurt. Let's see what talent, what this guy's got. Let him, let him air it out. Let him, let him loose. Let's see what this guy's got this year. And then we'll know what to do to build around him next year. After three games, and I'm saying two and a half games, a couple of things stood out for me today that show that the coaches and the staff already are giving up on this guy. Several third and longs today, they ran the ball. Third and 15, draw play. They ran the ball. And then at the end of the first half, with a possibility they could have easily maybe put some points on the board, with three timeouts in their hip pocket, they let the half run out. They did nothing to see what this guy could do, You know, let alone a two-minute drill, or let's say it under a minute. They let three timeouts. They went into the locker room with those three timeouts. Did nothing to see with this guy. That right there, those two moves right there on third downs 
and at the end of the half show me this team already is losing confidence in this guy. This guy came into the game today with a 24.3 QBR and had a 27.7 QBR today um, with you know completing 47% of his passes. On the season now, this guy's got 297 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions in three games! This guy hasn't thrown for 300 yards, not in a game yet, not in a season! This guy is horrible! And if you look, and here's the thing, and I'm starting to think too, the offensive line you can't say anything bad about the run blocking that they ran for 280 yards. Is the pass blocking that much worse? And yeah, I realize that the pocket seemed to collapse, but I was looking at the pro football focus numbers. Their pass blocking hasn't been that bad either. This guy never gets rid of the ball. He stands back there running around with the ball all the time and never sees anyone. And there's wide open. Equinemius St. Brown, there were at least twice today. I saw him wide open down the field waving to the guy. He sees nothing. He's struggling to stand up and not fall down or fumble. The first play of the game, he fumbles the snap. This guy just, he cannot play. I went back and looked at his college statistics and, or went back and looked at his college highlight reel. And you know what it looks like? It looks like him throwing to wide open guys down the field with tons of protection, having superior athletes in every position on the field. So I believe that, you know, I obviously got duped and I'm going to look at that differently next time. But I just, not only is the guy getting, not getting better. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind the guy's getting worse. To talk about Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky never had three games as bad as this guy has had. And the funny thing is, somehow the team is two and one. But Mitch Trubisky never had three games. I don't know what to do with this guy. What I saw by the end of this first half today, my eye test, my eye IQ test when it comes to sports, uh, I'm got I got a feeling this guy don't have it, and it, it's not coaching. It, it's uh, not, and not that I was a fan of Nagy last year. I think Nagy probably could have regressed him if that's possible. But they had a year. They had off season. They had new staff. They had everything to work with this guy to inch this guy along. He has absolutely gone backwards in every facet of the game. Every facet of the game. Are you going to blame the line? Are you going to blame the coaches again already? I'm sorry. Those coaches are all professionals. They're all trying to do the best they can for this guy. There's no way you blame this on the coaching. There was a play in the first half. They had third down. He had plenty of protection. He threw about a 15, 20-yard pass into three defenders, didn't even come close to the receiver, and if he had, he shouldn't have still thrown it to the guy because there were received, there were defenders all over that guy, yet he, he let it through to him when he had plenty of time to look at this guy. This guy, in my eye test, he doesn't have it. And I'll tell you, I – have no problem with Ryan Pohl's strategy, which you can see what it is, which is that the idea was this year, let's load up on it. Let's get rid of anybody who has any value and let's load up on young guys and see if we can just find a few diamonds in the rough and basically, you know, extend some of those guys who are the one year free agents, you know, give, uh, you know, give guys that they drafted an opportunity to play. I think a couple of those guys on the offensive line, uh, you know, have started to look decent. I mean, you know, Braxton Jones has been probably above average, you know, a fifth round, you know, left tackle. They, they really, you know, I mean, I understand that was the strategy and I'm actually 
fine with that. And I give him credit for what he did with the Roquan Smith situation. I think he handled that really well. Um, I think Eberflus to this point has represented himself well. I think his game management has been good. I mean, you can criticize that end of the first half today where basically they just burned a minute off the clock and walked off the field. And I wasn't, I mean, basically you were giving away a possession, but I'm starting to think maybe that's because they just feel like Fields is going to turn the ball over. I mean, I understand if it's 20 seconds, but it was about a minute and a half that you just basically burned a possession off the clock. And, you know, I have not been thrilled with Luke Getze. You know, we've talked at nauseum about that play last week, the goal line shotgun play, which I thought was a little bit strange. I mean, he's running the hell out of the ball. I'd like to see more pass plays, but I'm actually now starting to wonder, is he calling more, more pass plays, but every but on half of them, is Fields falling down, throwing a pick, you know, just throwing it out of bounds? Like, I don't know what's going on. I think maybe he is calling more pass plays than we think, and the truth is, we're always complaining about the Bears not having an effective running game. They are actually running the ball well. well they're running the ball so, well, because they're running the ball a lot, and they have a couple good backs there. There's no doubt about it so you know when they talk about an inexperienced offensive line how's that offensive line getting that those holes open for those backs so you know maybe the line's not as bad as you think I'm sorry I think after three games I think these coaches know what they got in fields and I think it scares the shit out of them and that's why they're running the ball because they don't want to get even more embarrassing by giving them another 15 to 20 possible throws it's just not gonna I don't know it's getting kind of worrisome and then if the Bears hang on to this guy you know, what do they do next year? This is the Bears are a team that in the last 25 years probably have the worst record in the history of the NFL for failures on first round picks. So they're going to have a shit year and they're going to try to build a team around this guy. I, you know, it's going to get pretty scary come week six or seven if this continues for another three or four weeks. There's going to be some serious decision making needed. Here's the good thing the good thing is. This regime did not draft Fields. So they're not going to have the same, you know, they're not going to have the same loyalty to him that maybe the regime that drafted him would have. So the reality is, if this guy continues to play this bad, I mean, we're going to be in the market, you know, for another quarterback. Obviously, it's extremely disappointing. And to give another endorsement to the coaching staff. So, um, you know, and by the way, the Houston Texans, suck. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. They've actually been fairly competitive, you know, so far this year, but they stink. And they've had a decent running game. That Damian Pierce, the rookie running back, is is pretty good. And he ran for, you know, for 80 yards on 20 carries today. But hey, give them credit. After having that abysmal running defense situation against the Packers last week, they only gave up 92 yards running total today. So, you know, that's decent. And, you know, we talk about the um, the quarterback rating. And it's funny that that's a stat that you tend to focus on. I find that to be interesting, being the sabermetrics guy that you are. But anyway, we talk about the 27.7. Do you remember Davis Mills, the Houston Texans quarterback, being some phenomenal quarterback today oh, or having absolutely. a great game? He was whatever, right? So he was 20 for 32, 245 yards, one touchdown, two picks, but had a quarterback rating of 72 and a half. So to give you an idea of how bad 27 is, and by the way, he came in at 24, so he raised his quarterback rating today. I mean... Davis Mills is way better. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Fields is not, you know, he's average quarterback. You may, you know, he's not going to be a star or whatever. He can't play at all. You can't even put him out there. It's like putting a child out there right now. And hey, man, 
No one wants this guy to be successful more than I do. I know you want him to be successful. All Bears fans want him to be successful. But right now, you know, as a pitcher on the north side once said, he stinks. I mean, like, he stinks. And I don't know I, what I the hell right we're going to do about it. Right about now with Grandal. So it would be like putting Grandal in the pitch hit in the bottom of the ninth when you need a run. So it's 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 bad. Like I said, I can't imagine what the next three weeks are going to be. I mean, you go back to your other guy, Trubisky or Trubersky, you know, even that guy was 20 for 37. The guy threw 37 passes, which is average, maybe a little above average for an NFL game. You know, it's it's not even close how bad this guy is. It's bad. Trubisky is a normal, average NFL quarterback. He's not great. He's probably going to get replaced this year. He's probably going to be a backup in the league for the next, you know, eight or 10 years, um, unless he just starts doing something spectacular. You know, I get all that. This guy's not going to be a backup in the league. This guy's going to be out of the league. This guy can't play. Like, this guy can't play. I mean, play. did you ever think the Bears so, um, get rid you of know, a guy that was the number three pick in a draft? The first quarterback picked out of some very good quarterbacks, and they would get, and they would get rid of two. him. Get Number rid two. of him for this guy, you know. No, and here's the thing. I mean, he, he was, all right. So I agree with you, and it, and it, I don't know that it was really for well, this guy necessarily. I mean, they were going to get a quarterback. That's yeah, I mean, they were going they, to get a quarterback, and they got this guy. Yeah, I mean, right. They're they're two separate transactions. I get that, but and I'm only making the point for contrast purposes. Meaning that we all thought Trubisky sucked. Obviously, I was probably the last guy trying to stay on his bandwagon. Um, but we all thought Trubisky sucked, and now we've got this guy. Suck is kind for this guy. We've said all there is to say. I mean, we're just going to have to see what happens. The good news is the Bears are two and one. They play the New York Giants next week, who is by no means a phenomenal team, although they've won a couple of games. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a third victory. Maybe we'll be a playoff team. I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. Um, but maybe some miracle will happen, and this guy will learn how to do something. Um, but they've got to figure something out with this guy um, and and get him to complete some passes because at this point, I know we talked about this briefly, but his confidence level has just got to be in the toilet, to use a plumbing term. I mean, he's got to be – I mean, there's no way. I mean, this guy is not – and if you heard him in the post game today, which I did, he basically said that the team won in spite of him. So he does not have a self-awareness problem. I mean, he realizes that he stinks. Um, but, you know, something's going to have to – going to have to happen. It's- it's going to be interesting. Let's just see how this goes this year. But the defense was, uh, you know, the defense was was pretty good. I mean, it was it was good enough. They ran the ball. They won the game. So uh, next week is you know is another uh, is another week. And speaking of bad, I would like to read you a quote. This quote comes from Miguel Cairo about ninety minutes ago at the conclusion of the White Sox game and the finish of their six game homestand where they went. O and six. So here's what he had to say. Today was the worst one, speaking of the six losses on the homestand. Today was. That's not acceptable. That's not baseball. That's not what the Chicago White Sox are about. It was terrible. That's what Miguel Cairo had to say. So the season is now over. They're 10 games back. 
They're one game under 500. Think about this. We're in the worst division in baseball, and they have the seventh highest payroll in baseball, and they are one game under 500. And in the critical homestand of the season, they go 0-6 to a decent team, and then they get swept by the Detroit Tigers. Yes, they are under 500. The Cairo miracle well, Cairo is now says over. It's not what the White Sox are about. That's where he's wrong. It's exactly it is. what the White Sox have been about all year. So, you know, Cairo caught lightning in a bottle for about a week and a half, and then it's right back to the same thing. I blame most of this on the players. I blame some of it on their ex-coach before Cairo. Just this entire seasoning for me has been the most maddening, truly maddening as a fan. Uh, from lack of effort to being told not to put effort in, to errors, to mental errors, physical errors, to you know playing DH guys in the field. How in the heck did Han put this team together? And the people bought in, especially in the beginning of the season, and I'm talking nationwide sports experts, bought in that this White Sox team was really going somewhere this year. As the season went on, it was a joke, and it was an apparent joke. Watching Vaughn and Sheets chase down fly balls without a clue, it just was one comedy of errors after another. How some guy becomes a starting shortstop on the All-Star team with as many errors as he had, it's just incredible. The the goofy injuries, uh, you know, Robert hurts his wrist at the end of the year, sliding head first with that stupid glove on his hand, and that glove curled up under the, under the, uh, 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 the guy trying to tag him out at you know, if he didn't have that stupid glove on, he more than likely would have never been injured. I just don't get it. This team is abysmal. They've got a payroll, major payroll problem next year. And guess what? The Indians, they ain't going nowhere for a couple of years. The, the Guardians, Guardians, I'm sorry. You know, they're not going anywhere. This is going to be a good team for a few more years. And they've got a, a great coach that knows his players, knows how to push their buttons, knows how to get the energy going. This White Sox team, they got a problem moving forward. Well, the good news is is that TLR is not managing for the rest of the season. So that means that he will be rested up for next year when I believe that he will probably get in tip-top shape, um, you know, dry himself out. I'm sure his pacemaker will be all cranked up and tuned up for next year, and he'll do a much better job. So I feel really good about that because he's just a ball of energy. When I think of TLR, I just think of energy. But in all seriousness, um, first of all, if if Tony Larusa is back in any capacity next year, including if they kick him upstairs or something like that. By the way, this guy was the chief baseball officer of the Arizona Diamondbacks for part of his retirement period, and that did not exactly go very well, so I don't want to kick him up. But let's talk about what the options are going forward as we look at next year. So give me your thoughts on this, and you know, I'll give you my analysis. There's really there's two options, right? Number one is the total rebuild option. And it's easy to say, oh, this thing sucks, tear it down. You know, I I get it. Number one, if they're going to go with the total rebuild option, they must get rid of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. They both have to go. And the reason that they both must go is because they've already had two attempts at a rebuild and failed. So why would you give them a third attempt? That doesn't make any sense. And do I think that's going to happen? I don't. 
Here's the other problem with going total rebuild for next year. You mentioned the payroll problems that they have. So you can do whatever you want to do, but you're, you know, but part of a rebuild is that you take every guy who has value and trade them. And I'm not sure they have that many guys that have value. And no matter what you do, you're going to be stuck with, you know, the 18 million of Grandal. So he's coming back and I'll talk about what I would propose doing with him. You know, you got Larry Garcia. Nobody's taking him. He's coming back. You got another year of 14 million for AJ Pollock. And I know that AJ Pollock is not, you know, a major problem, but you know, unless you pay his salary, it's not like somebody's, you know, somebody's taken him. You've got about 40 million bucks over the next two years coming up with, uh, you know, with Mancata. So I don't think anyone's going to take that. So, you know, my take would be, and the only thing you're going to get anything for is certainly you probably could get, I mean, Robert's got a long-term contract. It's under control, but you'll find somebody that will, it would take him. Certainly Jimenez, you know, you could trade him. You could trade Vaughn. You could trade any of the three arbitration eligible pitchers, although I'm not sure you really get anything for Giolito. But here's, here's to me, what I think they're going to have to do is if you look at going into next year and you think about the guys that they can't get rid of, and you consider the fact that Abreu is gone, then they're going to have to pay Kopech, Giolito, and Cease, you know, at least 50 million combined in arbitration. And none of those guys were getting paid, you know, significant money this year. No matter what they do, they're going to end up being a higher payroll team. So here's what I would probably do. You know, is basically patch it up. I get a manager who is the exact opposite of TLR, and I would get a, you know, more data oriented manager too. So I don't want, you know, AJ Przinsky. I don't think I want, you know, 70 year old Bruce Bochy, who Bob Nightingale said is somehow connected with the White Sox. I would like to get a younger Sabermetrics oriented manager. I think if I was going to trade anybody, and this would blow your mind, probably I would trade um, TA. And the reason I would trade TA is that his he's getting paid $14 million next year. He's a two-time All-Star. That's a relative bargain. And if you traded him somewhere like the Yankees, who need a one-year stopgap, you could get something for him. I would doubt that the White Sox are going to sign him because he's going to want a lot of money. He, he may be able to get a lot of money, certainly at least. 150 million or something like that, I would guess, even if he, you know, if he has a decent year next year, you know, you got Colson Montgomery coming up, who's their number one prospect. So I probably, you know, maybe go out, re-sign Elvis Andrews for a year. I probably put Romy Gonzalez at second. I probably get rid of, uh, you know, Josh Harrison. He's got a, I think a million dollar buyout. You know, you certainly put Vaughn at first. I would probably put Oscar Colas, who who had a terrific year in the minor leagues and hit a 454-foot home run at Charlotte last night, you know, who is a left-handed power bat, a great outfielder. You know, we need better defense. I put him out there. And not having Jimenez in left field on any kind of regular basis, you'd have a better outfield. You'd have a better infield with, you know, Gonzalez and, and Elvis Andrews and Vaughn at first. You know, you've got to go out and sign another pitcher because Cueto is gone. You probably caught lightning in a bottle there. So unless he wanted to give you a bargain, I'm not sure that he would necessarily be the only guy that I would target. But frankly, I would probably make some changes, patch it up, tell Rick and Kenny, this is your last chance and see if you can go back and win the division. So because if, if you go to total rebuild mode, the question becomes, are you willing to 
to sit around and lose a hundred games for three more years, watch prospects. You know, I, I don't want to do that. I just don't. I want to have some kind of hope. So what's your take on that, Phil? Would you go total rebuild or would you go patch the thing up? And I know it's easy to be mad at these guys. And I know a lot of these guys you hate more than uh, I do, you know, but the what total are your rebuild is pretty simple and it doesn't take, you know, a genius to figure out that you're, you know, you're dead on total rebuild is going to take years. If you don't want to do it and you want to do the patch job back to what I've been saying all year, assuming we got a new manager, assuming the Sox are going to have a new manager that will change the culture there or hopefully change the culture. Will the 70 to 80% of the team that is still there from this year, will they respond? You know, these guys not only dogged it all year, but we're told it was okay to dog it. How are they going to respond to a manager all of a sudden starts telling them, you know, it's time to hustle, boys, or maybe bench a guy when he does some really stupid stuff that they did a lot of this year. And and then if he doesn't, does the attitude of the guys that are left over carry on to the new guys? Does it infect the new guys? Does it become a disease on the team? Which case then you need a total rebuild. So, you know, that's what scares me. Whatever guys that are left on the team, are going to take their dog-ass attitude and infect the new guys with it because they're the veterans, and that's just how the Sox operate. And, you know, with a new manager, will they respond? I don't think these players have it in them to respond to a new manager that's going to put some pressure on them to play the game the right way. Well, I think it depends on who it is. And, frankly, I may be a little Pollyanna-ish, but if I were the new manager, the first thing I would do on the opening day of spring training is go in there and say – Hey, so how did last year feel? Did that feel good? Did you have a good time last year? Was that great going 0-6 in that, you know, on that homestand in, uh, you know, in September? Um, did losing feel good? You know, you, winning is a hell of a lot more fun. And if we want to win, this is what we're going to need to do. And, you know, maybe you could get through to these guys and maybe you could change the culture also by getting a, you know, getting a couple of more, you know, kind of professional leader guys, guys like Elvis Andrews, you know, and I don't know, maybe you could go out there and afford one more left-handed bat somewhere. I'm not sure. Although I really don't think that there's going to be a lot of new payroll coming to this team. I'm not optimistic, you know, about that at all. Like people who think they're just going to go out and fix this by signing guys, that is not happening. And by the way, you know, my immediate reaction to Grandal is just DFAM and just, you know, forget it and, you know, just, you know, promote Sebi to the starting catcher and, you know, find another guy to back him up. Frankly, I think because you have to pay Grandal $18 million no matter what, I would bring him to spring training, see how he looks, see if somehow maybe he's healthier, he can hit, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you get to the end of April and he still looks like 2022 Grandal, then I just get rid of him then. But since you have to pay him, I probably would bring him back. But I hear your point on the whole cancer thing. I do think that that is a risk. But we're also counting on these guys, meaning Rick Hahn, the genius. We are counting on him that if there's maybe one or two key guys who are cancers, then you need to get rid of those guys. Well, that's the thing. In my opinion, there's more than one or two of them. But you know, we'll see. You know, take Grandal. You know what you can do in spring training? See if he's got a future as a coach. You know, make him the highest paid coach you've ever had on the bench. But I don't know. I don't know. If I if it's up to me, if I never see that guy step to the plate again for the White Sox, I'd be fine. I understand. I mean, and clearly Jimenez and 
Luis Robert from a pure talent standpoint are without question your best two players, but have certainly shown an inability to stay healthy. And, you know, Luis Robert, between the dizzy spells DL stint and then this thing with the wrist. And by the way, I, I believe that the guy has a wrist injury because, you know, he's tried to play. He tried to get them not to put him on the IL. And you knew that he was hurt when you saw that Cairo was batting him seventh or eighth. I mean, it just shows you that he, everyone knows he could not swing the bat, but he gave it a shot anyway. Um, but I do think the one guy that you can get something for and I think would represent change is TA. And there are teams out there, and probably the Yankees being the one that comes to mind the most, needing a shortstop for at least a one-year gap. I think that's the move that I would make, you know, and maybe somehow you get some pitching back or, you know, you could get, you know, their best, maybe maybe their second and third best prospect. And, you know, I don't know. But but that's probably the move the, the primary move that I would make. And it still would be a different looking team if you consider the fact that going into this year, if I told you that Abreu and TA were your best two players, you probably believe that. They're, Mankata's getting paid $24 million next year. He's not going anywhere. You're just going to have to bring him back and hope right. that he plays better. His dog-ass attitude don't run off on the rest of the team. That's all. There's nothing. You paid him. There's nothing else you could. I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing at all. But there's just no option. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not just going to go release them or something. Yeah, maybe there's a team out there that might be willing to take most of his money or all of his money and you could get something back for him. I don't know, but I doubt it. I would be shocked if Moncada is not back. He'll be back, but I'm just saying it's, it's, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. That's for sure. From the GMs, like you're saying, to the president of the team, to the owner of the team, to the manager of the team is going to be, you know, just there alone without even involving players is going to be really interesting to see what the White Sox do in the offseason. All right. Well, I think that's all the complaining that I've got for today. Although the complaining that I still could make, you know, as we look at the end of the, of the NFL Sunday, or at least certainly more than far more than 50%, it looks like I'm about to lose my, um, my Packers Tampa Bay bet. Um, and well, I guess, you know, it's 14 six here with a minute left. Um, and I, uh, gave a point and a half. So I guess if they could go to overtime and Tampa Bay wins by a, by a field goal or something, I could still win that, but it's not looking very good. The chiefs lost today and I had given five and a half with them. I thought that was a lock. Um, you know, I mentioned that I won the over with the bears and then I've got the, uh, you know, I've got the 49ers, uh, you know, as a one and a half point favorite at Denver. And I feel pretty good about that. Well, I guess I feel pretty good about all of them. I wouldn't have bet, um, but it's been yet another uh, poor betting week. So I guess we'll have to see what happens there. Have you started I'm betting yet this season? Or are you still waiting? I, uh, I had a feeling with the uh, Packer game today, but uh, I think we're going to next week will be uh, when I kick it off. I've seen enough that I get some uh, good idea what to do. Yeah, it is interesting. You do need two or three weeks to get a feel for whether, you know, what kind of teams these teams are. And I think we're starting to get a feel. You know, I was very amused today that the Lions once again played Lions football. They were leading the entire game up by, you know, 17 points or something and lost to Minnesota. Uh, There were, you know, there were some very interesting outcomes, but 
Um, yeah. You know, we'll see how it goes. Phil, uh, Cigar and Sports Chicago, episode 26 in, in the books. All right, talk to you just soon. Yeah.